You're listening to Leaders Last with your host, with your host, Dr. David Robertson. All right, all right. Welcome back to another edition of Leaders Last. I'm your host, Dr. David Robertson. Today, we've got a tough one. Tough because it's hard to generalize. In a one-on-one setting, it's a lot easier because I can ask you point blank what your principles are. In a podcast, it's a little bit more difficult because your principles may not align with the principles of others, so it's hard to generalize. But we're going to give it a go. Conversation I had this week prompted this. I was having a conversation about leadership, of course. And in that conversation, I said what I normally say, if outcomes matter. And I was asked about why I say it this way. Well, that's a good question. The answer is that with popular notions of pseudo-leadership these days, outcomes don't always matter. But for effective leadership, outcomes absolutely matter. So we have to decide what we want. But if outcomes matter, so does the approach. And if that's true, then most are missing the boat. So today we're going to dig a little deeper because it's essential for us to understand some of the more complex nuances of effective leadership. That is, if outcomes matter. All right, I'll start by saying something that I've said often. Leadership encompasses numerous things. I often say that leadership, in many ways, is about seizing the moment and doing the right thing, especially when others either cannot or do not. But that's easier said than done. And it's much more than that. It's sound thinking, actually deciding on something, and great communication in regard to what you've decided. But then you have to act strategically, and with a tremendous amount of resolve and vision focus. Of course, there's more, but when you think about that mixture a little deeper and look into what each of those truly entail, then you find that leadership is something that many are simply not willing to do. It's also something that many just don't know how to navigate for themselves, let alone an organization or team. So today, we're going to talk about resolve, strategy, conviction, and unapologetically doing the right thing, even in the face of adversity. And more importantly, doing all that with a solid understanding of the repercussions. Yeah, that's one of the things I really dislike about idealized leadership. There isn't enough focus on the repercussions of actions or the adversity that one might face when attempting to lead. Idealized leadership also doesn't account for position or place. But today, we're going to. And frankly, some are not going to like it, but it has to be examined. So we'll start with resolve. Resolve is the backbone of effective leadership. And frankly, this is something that most people don't have. And if you think I'm being a little tough here, then consider why most fail at sticking to their New Year's resolutions. It's funny to me, because a study by researchers at Scranton University found that only 19% of individuals keep their resolutions. 19%. First of all, that's shockingly close to 20%, isn't it? And that right there, we can use Pareto's to guesstimate that resolve is an attribute of the few. But, second, this opens up an entirely different conversation about the reality of the idea that everyone's a leader. But here's the point. Most abandon their resolutions by mid-January, and that says a lot about the state of resolve in most people. 
Granted, this has a lot to do with contorted ideas of why or how or even when, but still. A lack of vision, strategy, purpose, and resolve, that's what that is. We have to understand that resolve encompasses the unwavering determination and resilience that leaders have to possess to navigate the challenges and obstacles they inevitably encounter. Leaders set ambitious goals and have a vision and strategy for themselves and their organization or team, and it's their commitment to those objectives that propels them forward even when faced with adversity, or I should say, especially when they're faced with adversity. And this is to say that when challenges present themselves, vision and resolve keep leaders from faltering. It's that inner strength that enables them to persist, adapt, and find solutions. And the funny thing is that I said that resolve is the backbone of effective leadership. But really, you could also think of it as the key ingredient to give you the necessary backbone in the first place. It's the reason leaders can inspire and motivate their teams, and it's the reason leaders are undeterred by setbacks while remaining committed to achieving what they deem as success, especially when it feels like the world's closing in on them. And at the end of the day, leaders with strong resolve don't give up easily. They don't give up in mid-January. They view obstacles as opportunities for growth and learning, steady progress towards methodically set and attainable goals. This quality not only helps them to achieve their goals, but also sets an example for their team, which of course fosters a culture of determination and resilience. And resolve alone, historically or otherwise, is something reserved for the few. The good news is that you can foster resolve within yourself. The bad news is is that it likely comes from a darker place. Generally speaking, you need a clear set of goals and priorities, or More to the point, a solid vision that you can almost taste. It needs to be clear, well-defined, and there needs to be a solid purpose for it. Now, the dark spot is that you almost have to hate where you're currently at. In other words, you have to want that vision significantly more than your status quo or the adversity you might face. Ideally, this vision will have a visceral connection. It's in your gut and your desire to achieve it will be unmatched. But then you'll need a strategy, and that's the second part of the recipe. And I'll get to that in a second, but I'll give you a personal example of what I'm talking about. When I was in high school, I wanted to play college football so bad, so I worked extremely hard. I conditioned myself daily. I lifted weights and ran all the time. I knew I had to be a beast, but becoming a beast isn't easy. And becoming a beast among other beasts, to the point to where I would even be noticed, is exceptionally difficult. I had to work so hard, and I hated missing out on certain events and hanging out with friends. But playing college ball was the vision, and I was resolved to do it. Despite the fact that even my head coach didn't believe in me, and really frankly tried to deter me every chance he could. Well, I did it. Twice despite injuries and despite setbacks, despite the pain of conditioning. But I wanted to be a part of that 7%. And that's what I mean, resolve. The vision becomes your life. But even that's not enough. Resolve is weak without a strategy. Effective leadership is so much more than just setting a vision. It's also about having a well-thought-out plan to reach that vision. Strategy and leadership involves 
careful planning, and strategic thinking. And by my count, it's about 15 to 23 steps that most people are simply not going to take. Think about it. Leaders have to analyze the current state of affairs accurately and and with as little bias as possible. They need to envision the future reasonably and chart a course to bridge that gap. Hope and luck have very little to do with it. But they also have to have contingencies and the ability to remain agile in the face of adversity. Now, of the 20% with resolve, how many do you think are willing to put in that kind of effort into planning? That's a lot of work when you think about it. A lot of work that most people are simply not willing to do. Of course, a strategic leader considers various factors such as market dynamics, competition, resources, and potential risks. And this takes research and understanding, which requires learning. Once again, how many are willing to put in that time and effort? And by the way, it's not the avoidance of risk. In fact, sometimes it's actually chasing the risky things on purpose, which further reduces the the percentage there. Either way, they assess the strengths and weaknesses of their organization or team and align their plans with the broader goals and vision. And this approach allows leaders to make informed decisions and allocate resources effectively. Moreover, strategic leaders understand that flexibility and agility are key. They continuously evaluate their strategies and adapt to changing circumstances. They revisit their plans regularly. They track progress. They retool often, and they learn to master the various tools in their tool belts. And more importantly, they're open to new ideas and opportunities while staying focused on the ultimate objective. And this is where it gets interesting, because this includes dissenting ideas. As a matter of fact, if they're any good, they're going to have a designated dissenter, someone who's going to look out for them and ensure that this leader doesn't do something stupid. And this dissenter is essentially the editor of decision-making, someone willing to put a red pen to your ideas. Or as I like to say, a good leader will have someone around them willing and brave enough to call that leader out as a dumbass. Again, statistically speaking, how many are going to go out of their way to find that type of mentorship? Either way, this adaptive strategy enables leaders to navigate through uncertainties and capitalize on emerging trends while also avoiding the temptation to drink their own Kool-Aid. And already, we've described a very small minority of people. But then we get a factor in conviction. Conviction is the unwavering belief in one's values, principles, and really, in a broader sense, the mission and vision of their organization. It's the moral and ethical compass that guides a leader's decision-making. A leader with conviction inspires trust and confidence in their team and stakeholders, for that matter, because they know that their leader will consistently act in alignment with those core beliefs. A couple of things that are noteworthy here. A. The leader has to know what their convictions are. And B, they have to be willing to share them with their people so that their people will know what those are. And in the best situations, these convictions align with the organizational vision. But again, and either way, we're talking about a small set of the population. Because the reality is that most people don't really have convictions. What they really have are biased artificial certainties about other people. And that's not the same thing as conviction. The point is that we are, once again, describing a small group. 
And the good news is that all of these are things that you can decide to do. It's not something you just fall into. And you can hone all of these. Anyway, leaders with conviction are not easily swayed by external pressures and trends and short-term gains. And frankly, they could care less about what's popular. They understand the importance of staying true to their values, even when faced with difficult choices. And this consistency builds a sense of stability and integrity within themselves, of course, and their organization, which can be a powerful force for long-term success. And granted, this is a double-edged sword, because it can also mean total alienation. And it sort of goes back to what Plato said, if you want to be wrong, go with the masses. However, this also means that if you're going to be accurate, you're not exactly going to be a fan favorite with the majority. One of the things that I find particularly interesting about this element is that one person's morality is not necessarily that of others. And this means that your conviction, your right thing, is not going to be someone else's. In fact, an example that I've used with my students is that Chairman Mao killed more people than Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, and Mussolini combined. And all of them thought they were doing the right thing. Ironically, today, Mao is a fan favorite of many, Hitler is a devil, and despite giving Hitler the model to follow, few know much about Mussolini at all. And speaking of which, I have yet to meet anyone that knows anything about the Grand Mufti Amin al-Husseini, but whatever, maybe that's a different podcast. And I'll get to doing the right thing part here in a moment, but let me say that leaders with strong convictions can articulate their values and vision clearly, and that's because they live them. It's part of who they are. It's the self-portrait of their life. And this clarity helps to rally the team around a shared purpose and fosters a sense of unity and purpose among their followers. It also helps to determine who is chosen for the team in the first place. And more importantly, it helps set the ethical tone within the organization, which reinforces its culture. And that's a powerful combination. And you'll find that highly successful organizations have this at least to some degree. And this point right here is a perfect demonstration. Look around today. You have a lot of organizations on the left and the right that are pandering to popular political pressure. And that's not leadership. In fact, that definitely falls more into the followership category. But look what happens to them. They're being wrecked because of it. Why? Because it's a distraction from organizational vision. That is, if the organization even had a vision in the first place, because most don't. But I'll give you an example. Let's say we have a car dealership that's pandering to popular political pressures. Is a car dealership a political organization? No. So they shouldn't be playing political games. Anything that distracts the team from achieving the vision is a problem. So what's the vision? Well, let's say the car dealership actually had a vision, and let's say that that vision is to be the undisputed leader in delivering exceptional automotive experiences, where every customer feels valued, every employee takes pride in their work, and the dealership is a trusted pillar in the community. That's decent enough for this example. Now, think about this, just for a second. And I'm just spitballing here, but pandering in this scenario compromises their customer-centric focus. It could definitely erode employee engagement. It'd likely create the perception that the dealership is more interested in political expediency than in being a trusted pillar of the community. It would definitely send mixed signals about its leadership and values, 
which of course would damage their long-term reputation and ultimately reduce their competitive advantage. And none of this is good if the dealership is truly interested in moving units. And frankly, when organizational leaders pander to popular political pressure, either internal or external, they only publicly demonstrate their lack of vision and their lack of conviction and resolve to achieve that vision. And that's the point. Who would want to buy from that group when you can go down the road to a professional outfit who's there to do business? Which brings us to doing the right thing, unapologetically, but also checking it with reality and having a strategy. Included in the right thing is the right time and the right cause for the right reasons. But you have to know that even those will be debated. And like I said, the right thing is relative. Your right thing may not be someone else's right thing. Your approach will be scrutinized. However, we gauge effectiveness with how close you get to the vision, which is an important point when you think about it. But I'll say it like this. It's a lot easier to have ethical courage to do the right thing when you fundamentally believe in the vision and when you're in the right place to be so bold. But again, this has to be matched with reality. Now, I get it. You can do anything you put your mind to. This is true to some extent. But then you have to factor in accuracies and efficiencies. Absolutely. We, we definitely have to stand in the face of adversity, especially when all those pressures are thrust upon us. But you have to ask yourself, how are you going to navigate that? And why is that pressure there? Am I in the wrong place to begin with? Do I have the right team? Do I even have a team? But here's the deal. Leaders encounter situations where doing the right thing can come at a great personal or professional cost. And you have to be prepared for that. It's like me wanting to join the football team. It came at great personal sacrifice. But you could look at it other ways, like whistleblowers. These people usually believe in the vision, but they see something wrong and they stand up to the machine to expose the wrongdoing, usually at the total destruction of their careers and friendship. And that's rare. True leadership means prioritizing ethical principles and values over convenience, popularity, and even self-interest. And not many do this. But the thing to remember is that it's all vision-oriented. And you'll notice that the vast majority of people doing anything today are doing it in the name of self-interest, and it's not really all that thought out. But that's also the interesting part. We're not talking about going into an organization and trying to morph it to your will. That'd be silly. And frankly, you're just going to make your life miserable if you try that. But if you tried that for the sake of your people, we might be talking about something entirely different. In fact, I'll say it like this. If your ethical principles clash with organizational vision, one of two things need to happen. One, you need to assess your alignment and make an exit strategy if you find that the two don't align. In fact, that's probably the best approach. But really, and just for example, if you don't like Amazon, don't work for them. If you're afraid of fossil fuels, don't work for ExxonMobil. In other words, don't be a part of the things you disagree with. But let's say you didn't know that the organization clashed with your values before you joined. Or perhaps corruption occurred after you joined. How do you know whether to stay in fight or exit? Well, that's a tough one. But there is a fairly easy way to determine this. Start with a question. Is it for you or the group? If it's for you, you probably need to head out. 
But let's say that the organization has a solid vision, and let's say that you fundamentally believe in that vision, but leadership isn't following the vision, or maybe they're going out of their way to destroy the vision. Well, the organization has a chance to last longer than the leader. Staying in the fight might be worth it. You might also be able to recruit help to correct the problem. You do have a chance to change things from the inside in that situation, but it's still just a chance. After all, you could get fired in your attempt. So you still have to make a choice to stay and fight or bow out and work the problem from another angle. But this goes back to doing your right thing. Only you can answer this. But the contrast is this. Let's say that the organization has a solid vision, but you fundamentally disagree with that vision. Well, now, the problem is you. You probably shouldn't have signed up in the first place, and you need to leave when you can. It's organizational politics. You're likely going to lose. But let's say you were in a position to change things. Even then, you have to understand the repercussions. Remember that political nonsense breeds division. A change in vision changes everything. So if you're successful in changing the vision to something more politically aligned, you're likely going to lose a lot of people, you'll create a lot of enemies, lose a lot of customers, and things are going to get rough for the organization, at least for a while. You probably would have been better off starting your own competitive organization. And seriously, think about a pacifist joining Raytheon in an attempt to stop their involvement in making weapons of war. How's that going to go? Usually, if your right thing is that important to you, the best approach is to avoid organizations whose visions clash with your values in the first place, or to leave the organization and find one that more closely aligns. In my opinion, you need to put yourself into a situation where you have the freedom to do your right thing to the best of your ability. Or you could think about it like this. Let's say that you are a pacifist. Are you more apt to be successful in the Marine Corps or the Peace Corps? And I guess the point is that a pacifist has about as much of a chance changing the Marine Corps as a warrior has in changing the Peace Corps. However, conversely, a warrior will thrive in the Marine Corps and a pacifist will thrive in the Peace Corps. Part of being an effective leader is being smart enough to navigate reality and effectively utilizing resources. And here's how I see it. Your participation is your endorsement, and your resistance or avoidance is your opposition. Doing both is a mixed signal. Yes, true leaders are willing to face criticism, adversity, and even backlash in order to uphold their principles. And some are going to go as far as self-sacrifice, but approach, strategy, and outcomes do matter. And I can give you a great example here. Actually, I can give you two examples here for the contrast. Win Allen Bruce. Do you know who that is? Most don't, but he was a climate protester. He clearly had a lot of resolve because he set himself on fire in front of the U.S. Supreme Court and died. But his resolve didn't really make a difference in the grand scheme of things because he went about it in the wrong way. His efforts changed nothing because he didn't have a strategy. And this is evidenced by the fact that most of you probably never heard of the guy before, and nothing has really changed on that front. But this happened in February of 2022, and this merely highlights the importance of strategy. His resolve to bring awareness to his cause was admirable, but it could have been highly impactful if he got with the right group or had a strategy. 
Now he's barely a memory for most. So let's look at the contrast. Edward Snowden. Like him or hate him, he felt that he did the right thing. And like Win Allen Bruce, he was willing to destroy his life to do it. But he did so with a strategy. And he left his organization because he didn't agree with them anymore. And he decided to fight them and expose the corruption. And the organization went after him. And he had to move to another country. And he did expose a lot of problems. And a lot of things did change. Some good, some bad. So what's the difference? Well, first of all, in both cases, it wasn't self-interest that drove the decision. In Bruce's case, he wanted to save the planet. However, he was essentially a lone wolf and had no strategy. In Snowden's case, he wanted to expose unconstitutional corruption. His strategy was pulling together the right group of people who had a similar vision of exposing corruption, the reporters, right? And long before the information was released, they had considered contingencies and repercussions. And to this day, you know exactly who he is. You know at least some of what he was trying to expose. And keep in mind that that happened back in 2013. And he pops up in the news every so often trying to continue his fight. Now, either way, most wouldn't go to those lengths for their right thing as evidenced by the fact that more people aren't setting themselves on fire and that Snowden was the only one out of literally thousands of people who were aware of what was going on and, of course, chose to say something. True, your commitment to what you deem as ethical behavior can set a powerful example for others to follow. But just remember that your leadership has to be rooted in reality and accuracy and that you're going to be evaluated on how close you got to the vision. And yes, you need to consider the consequences of your actions. Absolutely. Because despite what social media would have you believe, reality comes with repercussions and unforeseen pressures. And the more you consider those factors, the better off you'll be. And yes, these are extreme cases. However, the overall point is that effective leadership requires a combination of unwavering determination, strategic thinking, strong conviction in one's values, and the courage to do what's right, in the right way, within the scope of reality, and almost despite the repercussions, but to do so with an effective vision-oriented strategy, along with contingencies. Now, that's a lot. Because if you don't do that, though, you're likely going to fail. And yes, of course, it's complicated and tough. And the point is that it's rare. And contrary to what the LinkedIn feed might have you believe, empathy and active listening are not enough. The good news is that all of these are achievable, though. You can learn all of this. As for the intrinsic parts, that's left to critical reflection. What will I stand for? What will I not stand for? But we have to reduce the bias, appeal to accuracy, be vision-focused, Hone your strategic thinking skills, forecast where possible, and give yourself the advantage by getting together with the right team. And I hate to do it, but now we have to complicate the matter even more by saying that leadership is situational. And that might be the biggest challenge of all, knowing which situations require you to power forward and which ones require you to hold back. Just remember that different situations are likely going to require different approaches, and effective leaders adapt their style and strategies accordingly, while still staying true to their core values. And this is to say that a one-size-fits-all, single, soft-skill approach isn't going to cut it. So you probably shouldn't try that. 
All right. So that's it for this week, guys. I, I really appreciate your time. Be sure to hit those buttons. I'd appreciate it. Until next time, take care.